Welcome to the podcast that is all about self-employment. We'll be sharing expertise on getting started, getting noticed, and getting it right, as well as dealing with getting it wrong. Your host, Julia Kermode, will help you get ahead so you get the success you deserve. So welcome to today's podcast. Really pleased to be talking about a latest IR35 case, and we'll get on to why we're talking about it and why it's exciting in just a second. But with me, joining me today is Christian Lay. He's an employment lawyer and IR35 expert, and he's spent probably about 80% of his career to date on employment status, and he's an in-house lawyer at freelancing which are who are specialists in freelance engagements so warm welcome Christian really nice to have you with us today hi Julia thanks for having me delighted to be on your podcast should we have a quick word on what IR35 is for the benefit of your audience now your your audience comprises freelance contractors and they'll know the force of IR35 Um, for the most part. But but just for anyone who's not across it, can, can yeah. we just have one minute on what that is? IR35 has existed for a long time. It's not new. And it is a set of rules that HMRC uses to uncover disguised employment where people are working through company arrangements. So imagine I had a little company, Christian Lay Limited, mm-hmm. through which I just supplied me, Christian Lay. That's sometimes called a limited company contractor or personal service company. Yeah. There are circumstances where that tax advantageous way of working is a ruse and I'm actually the employee of my host. That's what IR35 is there to deal with. The reason it's hit the headlines lately and is big news again, despite its long existence, is last year, 2021, we had a set of reforms to IR35, which reset where the liability falls. So the default position, historically, has been that the contractor, him or herself, has had to foot the issue if HMRC reclassifies them, right? But under last year's reforms, if a large business, so-called, uses a freelancer working through a company, and the test broadly, if I can boil it down, is over £10 million turnover. So Mm -hmm. straight away, a bank, a large house builder, a rail contractor, any business of any weight has probably got that turnover, yeah? So it's, it's, it's encapsulating a massive tranche of the UK economy. They become liable for the employment taxes, so the PAYE embracing NICs and so on, including employers' NICs at 15-odd percent. They become liable for all that if the contractor is reclassified by HMRC. So something that didn't used to trouble these players suddenly becomes their problem. Mm. And corporates don't like risk. They want to, you know, shoulder off risk. It's it's their nature yeah. yeah and so it's led to a lot of freelancers being pushed into arrangements they'd rather not be in so that's a quick summary on why IR35 is big news this last couple of years brilliant and that's that's really helpful and I think the purpose of IR35 is to try and make sure that people who are working for themselves are genuinely working for themselves and those that aren't are paying tax as if they are an employee and I, I think I think that's that's um, that's how I would try and sum it up um, so why are we excited about this recent case so I'm talking about the Atoll House case or the Athol House case we don't know where, yeah. which <laughs> which way to say yeah. it um but it's but it's actually about uh Kay Adams isn't it who's a presenter yeah. so why, why are we excited about this we're excited about this for a couple of reasons the first is it unravels 
this case at the Court mm -hmm. of Appeal. So it's all big binding decisions, so it's superior level of court, yeah? Yeah. It unravels some of the status law that's been going through the courts in recent years in such a way as to be favourable for the freelancer. Now, in my view, I suppose I would say this because I'm pro-freelancer, but mm -hmm. in passing, I think self-employment is the backbone of the UK economy. It's been a rough few years for freelancers. Yeah. You'll be conscious in your work, given what you do and the work of iWork, that self-employment has fallen in recent years. Yes. Lots of people have left industries where self-employment is popular. Um, it's difficult to be a freelancer because of the IR35 reforms, etc., and so on. Mm. So it's just nice for a change to see something going in the direction of travel for freelancers rather than against them in the context of not a great few, few years for freelancing. HMRC, and, and for the record, they're not the enemy, okay? They're not the enemy, but we do <laughs> yeah. find ourselves in adversarial positions. HMRC has tried to make status a tick box exercise. They've tried to make it easier for their inspectors to get mm -hmm. through reclassifications. And I think that's poor. I think status is a matter of nuance. Yeah. And so what this case has resoundingly told HMRC is that status isn't the tick box exercise. So for right. a practitioner like me or anyone championing freelancers or indeed the freelancers themselves, this case is welcome. Yeah, OK, because this is what what we've been talking about for a number of years within the industry. So when they were bringing out these reforms, making clients liable for the IR35 status, we were all saying, well, hang on a minute, it's complicated. They won't be able to do it. And basically, okay. it sounds like you're saying this case has illustrated that it is complicated and it can't just be, you know, necessarily HMI. MRC's approach has not necessarily been correct. Resoundingly so. And if I can just link that to HMRC's CEST tool, so yes. that's an acronym. Yeah. It, it's an acronym for something, C-E-S-T. And it's the tool by which, and not everyone uses it, but it's common, mm -hmm. it's, it's the tool by which businesses are invited to test the status through trotting fewer, through a few steps. Yeah. of their freelance contractors such as to get a determination and this concept you know no one wants a law lecture julia but this concept <laughs> of status determination is new it's in the reforms and the status determination is effectively that host business the client business deciding whether one of the contractors it's using is inside or outside of ir35 brackets yeah. a genuine contractor or a disguised employee and this cest tool leans on HMRC's approach to date, which sort mm -hmm. of navigates the status test. And in a minute, we're going to talk about ready mix concrete, which gives you a, a three limb approach. But okay. what the court said in Athol House, in Kay Adams' case, is that the other factors dimension of the ready mix concrete three limb test has been misapplied by revenue, which right. means as a corollary, so it follows that, the cess tool is flawed. Um, okay. So like you say, pursuant to these IR35 reforms, you've had all these businesses hither and thither using the cess tool to explore status. And now we can see the cess tool is flawed. Now, I never liked it anyway, and I think mm. people should have done their assessments differently. But for the thousands of businesses that lent on it, well, it doesn't look quite good, does it? Because the, the tool is patently flawed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, well, talk us through um, a, a brief outline of the case in relation to Kay Adams' um, company. All right. Well, the first thing to say is it's complicated. It's yeah. complex. 
And it's not just complicated for the person on the ground. It's complicated for me. And I do this for a living. So I'm not, I'm not going to go down all the little labyrinthine corridors that are available to me, okay, in discussing this case. It would just be a law lecture and it wouldn't excite your audience. So, so let's, <laughs> let's, get down, let's get down to what they need to know. Okay. And there is a bit of law in here, but people will have to hopefully bear with until, until we get to the, the denouement. Yeah. HMRC having appealed from an earlier tier of court, so the upper tax tribunal, was saying that the third limb of the ready-mixed concrete test was not looked at properly. Right. Ready-mixed concrete is a case from donkey's years ago that tells you how to approach status analysis or tells the court how to. Limb yeah. one is, is their personal service, which is, you know, are, are you giving over yourself as the human or are you just providing a suite of services hopefully the latter mm -hmm. limb two is about control are you under heavy control of the, of, of the user or are you are you in a position of self-determination as any contractor should be yeah. and thirdly this is the dispute area limb three other factors and mm -hmm. other factors as it sort of sounds is nebulous it, it's an array of things and one aspect of that is in business on one's own account now HMRC said when it got to the Court of Appeal to talk about this Kay Adams case that the previous courts had unduly focused on it and what they should be doing instead is looking at other factors that emanate from the express and implied terms of the contract which Kay Adams worked under. So right. if I give you just a little example, yeah, please, can, we, yeah. can we agree that financial risk is a hallmark of self-employment? Yeah, um, it definitely so is. Yeah. Great. So let's give an illustration to make it real. Contractor contracts with someone, mm -hmm. some superior party, and there's a clause in their contract that says, if you mess up our systems, say it's IT work, yeah? Yeah. If you mess up our systems, you've got to rectify it or pay for the rectification. That's a clause in the contract, and it's and it's an example of financial risk, isn't it? Because yeah. in signing the contract, assuming the freelancer wants to do the work, there's some risk involved in if they do the work poorly or damage the infrastructure of the client party, they're going to lose. They're going right. to lose money yeah. or lose income, and that's part of your, your freelancer financial risk, yeah. and it's key to self-employment. But that financial risk that I've just painted isn't in the ether as something that just exists without attaching to any circumstance. In my example, it's in the contract. And mm -hmm. so what HMRC was saying to the judge in the Court of Appeal is, you've got to look at that type of scenario where financial risk or other indicators of self-employment attach to terms. And what the Court of Appeal said um, back to them is, no, we don't have to do that. These right. quote marks, other factors, on limb three of ready mixed concrete can be anything you like that touches being a freelancer. Yeah. And I'm gonna to have to quote from the case Go to on, make man. the point here yeah. because the, the, what I'm about to say is absolutely crucial and will be news, uh, good news to all freelancers who have more than one client party. The Court of Appeal said that other factors include the freelancer's career to date. And this right. little quote won't take long, just a 20 second quote, it says, this is from the Court of Appeal, so April of this year. The contract should not be construed in the vacuum, but in the light of admissible factual matrix. It follows that a factual circumstance known to both parties at the date of the contract, such as, for example, the fact that the person providing the work has an established career as a freelancer, should be taken into account. 
So the court, this senior level court has now said, you've got to look at their career as a freelancer. You can't just rock up HMRC and say, this little bit of work they're doing in Mm. year 20 of a decorated 20 year career as a freelancer is all we need to look at. And is that an employment? Is that a disguised employment? You've got to look at everything. And for Kay Adams, she'd worked with ITV, BBC, she'd written in the papers. So she's a genuine freelancer. Yeah. And so when this case is remitted back to the tax tribunal for final determination, I, and pretty much every commentator in this space, expects her to win. So that's um, that's massive, actually, because um, HMRC traditionally just look at each individual contract. Um, and this is why they've justified not having mutuality of obligation in their online tool, because they're saying, yeah. um, and please, let's not let's try not to get <laughs> into it too much. But for listeners, yeah. it's it's a it's a potential indicator of whether you are an employee or genuinely self-employed hmrc don't have that in their tool because they say that they're looking at each assignment in isolation so what you've just said blows that all out of the water doesn't it it does and without harping on about cest there is a reason i keep coming back to cest although my organization and its clients use a bespoke assessment that was written up by guild freelancing and myriad other parties do that yeah. we have to accept that the cess tool has been lent on he- heavily yeah. by a multitude of big players in, in, in across a multiplicity of sectors right the reason i want to come back to cest is one because a multifactorial assessment is a is required as a result of k adams court of appeal decision the cess tool is too narrow in its assessment Mm. And two, in the RALC consulting case of 2019, HMRC itself said, so this is revenue's own position, it's quite Mm. funny, um, that the court should apply the law and not rely on CEST findings. So (laughs) HMRC itself says, CEST isn't that compelling. Don't worry about that, apply the law. Well, (laughs) I do remember that. (laughs) Yeah, that's HMRC's own evidence. So if that's the case then, CEST is nowhere, isn't it? So not Mm. only is it flawed, but revenue go, "Mm, don't worry about CEST so much. It's actually what the law says. Well, the law after Athol House, okay, Kay Adams doesn't have her final outcome yet, but she will eventually. Mm. It doesn't change the fact that the the Court of Appeal has said a multifactorial assessment is required. And that's why I began the podcast by saying, what amazing news for freelancers. Because if you've got a couple of clients or, I don't know, you've been in business for a good, good few years, you, yeah. you, you're going to be recognised as the freelancer you are more readily by the law than perhaps in the last few years. Yeah, because it has been quite unfair, and there have been some other um, well well publicised cases where where they have just looked at each individual assignment, and so they, they, this is this is really big news. Um, and mm. so, where are we at at the moment? So you said she hasn't yet got the final outcome. Where, where's the case now then? I think it's a few months away. What what the just to finish off what the Court of Appeal said for complete. Sorry, yes, no, I interrupted. Just, just to, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You didn't. You're good. But but I don't want one of your listeners to email in and say I've I've fudged the description of the case. They, <laughs> did, they, did, they did accept in the Court of Appeal that there are other threads of case law that are relevant. So okay, you've got the yeah. auto claims case, which is the big the big House of Lords case all about um, sham contracts. 
You've got the Hall and Lorimer thread of case law, which is about being in business on one's own account. And what the Court of Appeal said is you've suddenly got this range of status tests, a bit like pick mix you know, the old cinema pick a mix <laughs> I have, yes, you know, I have yeah. some fried eggs and some cola bottles and a bit yeah, of this. Yeah. <laughs> the, the court has available to it, in my view, somewhat unhelpfully, a range of status tests, okay? Yeah. And what the Court of Appeal has said is, ah, we've actually got so many different tests going on here that we don't know which one to apply, which yeah. is why a few commentators have, have suggested that the courts don't know what status law is either. But what the, but we have to take away the positives. The Court of Appeal said a multifactorial assessment is required if you're following the, the ready mix concrete three limb test. Mm. So that's very helpful. If we step back then and say you've got these, the, these different threads of case law which are available to the court to apply, the Court of Appeal, not knowing which one to kind of pin, has said, well, let's send this back to a lower tier court, the tax tribunal, and right. they will take everything they've learned from this appeal yeah. and apply it and make a decision. So maybe Kay Adams is a genuine freelancer, maybe vis-a-vis -vis this particular contract, she's an employee. In a few, Within a few months, definitely this year, mm. within a few months, we know the answer. If I had to have a tenor on it, I think she wins. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it, it's hard to keep track of where, where these cases are and, and, you know, when, when they go to different courts and things like that. And it's, it is, it's hard to, to kind of stay on top of, but obviously once we get the final outcome, then um, everyone will be talking about it and listeners will be updated through, um, through our newsletter if, if they subscribe. So, um, so we've probably talked a bit around, around this, but I was going to ask you, why does this case matter so much then? <laughs> I, I think it I think it matters and, and if any of this is repetitive, I, I give you my apology. I think it matters because it's it's made HMRC, it's obligated HMRC to pause for thought. Yeah. It was to this point trying to convert status for its own convenience and lack of resource and all the rest of it. And I'm I'm sympathetic to public sector budgets and the limits yeah. of what they can. But hitherto, they've been trying to force status into a tick box exercise, which is unsatisfactory. Yeah. It's a nuanced subject. Look at the stuff I just told you about the different threads of case law. You know, are you looking at, <laughs> is this a sham question under auto cleanse? Is this, is a, is this a business in, uh, on one's own account question under Hall and yeah. Lorimer? Or are we proceeding to the three limb test if you've if you've established what the contract is under a ready mix con concrete analysis can i interrupt your train of thought there on that exact point how do they decide which bits of law to look at you, this might be an impossible question so <laughs> so if it is apologies but how on earth do the courts stand a chance they don't I, the, the answer is they don't know this is okay. one of the reasons this is one of the reasons the court of appeal copped out and referred the case back to the tax tribunal for tax tribunal yeah. for ultimate determination is because they don't know they're faced with these three to four different threads of employment status mm. law from which they can legitimately choose and pretty much under confession they said don't know which one to choose the tax tribunal figure it out so i can't <laughs> answer your question because the legal system doesn't know the answer okay so what chance have the rest of us got that's that's a that's a bigger point isn't it <laughs> but um... things are looking good no i i take away uh, i i am buoyed by this decision i okay. i feel triumphant it is uh, without banging on about this phrase multifactorial assessment mm. and and also um i'm harking back to what i said at the start of the pod this is great news 
freelancers have had a rough few years. Look at how the IR35 reforms have pushed them into employment they didn't want to be in or, yeah. or different platforms and models they didn't want to be in. It's been, it's been a tough it's been a tough two to three, if not more years. And the, mm. the, the looming recession and stagflation and all the bloody rest of it, it doesn't help, right? <laughs> it's, it's a tough gig right now. To, I've to, not, to not heard of stagflation yet, but um, I can guess. <laughs> Well, you can yeah, you can probably figure out what that compound <laughs> yeah. noun equates to, and it's what it's what the UK is experiencing right now as we mm. look at our economy contracting for Q two of this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a very difficult time to run your own business, and yeah, I and I sure. think if 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 your tax status is a threat lurking in the background, you know, am I a real contractor, or is revenue going to come along and call me an employee? Or, for example, is the business I'm dealing with, the client party, going to force me into employment because it's scared of the reclassification risk? I think it's helpful that the Court of Appeal have broadened out how reclassification must work. Mm. So I I take away something very positive from this. Um, HMRC needs to think again. CEST isn't fit for purpose, which I've always said. And it's, for the time being, a good few weeks for freelancers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, what what do you think the future looks like? And we've sort of touched on it um, in terms of we think the case is likely to be won by Kay Adams. But, you know, more, more broadly, has this just turned everything upside down? I think it's an ingredient in a, in a shift or change that's coming. I'm glad you asked me about the future. Because without being gobby, I have some reasonably strong views on what the future looks like. So it's, it's not the world. We love it's not a world, strong view here. <laughs> thank you. Brilliant. Yeah, it's not the world according to Christian Lay, but this is what I think is coming. Call it mm. a forecast, right? The, it, it weaves into the labour situation in this country. Okay, you can't disconnect the subjects. And if you'll indulge me for about a minute, I'll explain yeah. why. The the labour pool is shrinking. Okay. Yeah. In a post Brexit economy with umpteen vacancies unfilled and all the all the rest of it, a an amount of power is moving to the worker. Yes. I use the, the I don't use the term worker in the legal sense. I mean it in the sense of a working person. Yeah. So whether you're employed, self-employed, whatever, you're a working person. And it wouldn't matter if you were a bin man or I don't know, a, a senior IT engineer or or a white collar exec. It all mm. amounts to the same thing. There are fewer people, therefore wages are going up. And power is shifting to the working person yeah. as they command a higher rate for their work. They command a better life for themselves post-pandemic. They may be desirous of flexible working arrangements. Now, corporates will always hold the cards in the end. Mm. But just for the moment, mainly I think it's a post-Brexit thing. This small labour pool means that the, 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 the UK workforce, if I can create a body out of us, is experiencing a, a sort of an increase in their power, an increase to their voice, right? As that happens, it also means that anyone who's a freelancer in that pool of people has the opportunity now to say, I want to freelance with you. So Mm -hmm. whereas in 2020 or 2021, you a bank or house builder or rail contractor or haulage company insert business yeah? yeah you wanted me to go off into paye because you were nervous of the ir35 reforms to take yeah. an example well i i'm now going to insist that i trade through my limited company because mm-hmm. you need me yeah you need me now 
So let's say I've used the IT consultant example already. Let's say I'm an experienced IT consultant, you know, yeah. tw 20, 20 years in contracting in IT, umpteen clients, been around, etc. And I say to a big bank, this is how you're going this is how you're going to have to engage me. I don't want to be employed. You want mm -hmm. me in for my skill, my expertise of which right now there is not a great deal. It's going to have to be this way. So yeah. bend your mind around the IR35 compliance or take out some insurance or do whatever you're going to do because it's going to work this way. Yeah. So what I think the future looks like, certainly the next one to two years, is people being able to dictate their terms on a better footing than previously and a bit of a turn coming on IR35, a bit of a sort of circular movement where we come back around to mm. people being relaxed about using freelancers and freelancers being able to insist that in spite of convoluted compliance they're going to be engaged their preferred way yeah and that that paints a really nice picture for us actually because um it feels like it's been a long time coming that there's something positive um, about about yeah. anything relating to IR35 for, for freelancers. But um, what you're describing there is that they're empowered and able to kind of say, no, if you want me, you can have me on these terms. Or frankly, I'll go to your competitor down the road um, who who will take me on on my terms. So, you know, that I think that... I think that's that is so positive. It's, isn't it's it? on a Julia. It's on a needs basis. These people mm. are needed. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to name the name because it would be unfair, but a household name rail business mm. that is significantly involved in national rail infrastructure. Listeners yeah. can use their imagination. I've probably boiled it down <laughs> to three businesses. Yeah. So <laughs> national rail infrastructure. They've U-turned on their approach to contractors all mm. through 2021. No, not having it. IR35 reforms, very scary, compliance unachievable, blah, blah, blah. And now I know rail engineers that are going into, I know them personally, mm. that are going into the, the company concerned as freelancers again. They've U-turned, they've said, well, we actually need some rail engineers. We're busy, <laughs> yeah. we've yeah. got stuff to do, and the only available people are freelancers, so we're going to have to run with it. Um, so there's live evidence of the of the change occurring the softening of an attitude mm. to IR35 and, and to be honest Julia it's consistent with softening attitudes to legislation a little while after legislative changes take place so if you think of yeah. uh, bribery act agency workers regulations section 44 IT for in 2014 it always uh, works to the same rise and fall everyone's mega nervous on day one and no you can't do this then in time they're like oh well I guess it will be okay yeah so yeah. between between the shrunken labor pool and softening attitudes to IR35 you you should get a nice couple of years for freelancers demanding their own terms Fantastic. Well, that, that sounds really, really positive. About time we had some good news. Well, on that happy note, let's end it there. Now, obviously, going alongside this episode, there'll be notes um, for, for people if they want to find out more about you, Christian, or the Guild Freelancing. And also, I'll probably put in some links to where people can read up more on the case should they wish to. So yeah, everything will, will be there. So huge thank you so much for your time joining us today and for making and this IR35K accessible to, to, to listeners, which is great because often can be a little bit detailed. So we've managed to keep it light. So thank you so much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to All About Self-Employment hosted by Julia Kermode. 
For more information on today's discussion, please visit iwork.co.uk, where you can also join our growing community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, then we would love you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week.